This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. This mini series has been made possible by a grant from the Thakur Family Foundation. Thakur Family Foundation had no editorial control on these episodes. नमस्कार भाई और बहनों पूरा देश हिला हुआ है अब कोरोना के खतरे से जुड़ी इस खबर को हम आपको बताते हैं दिल्ली के निजामुद्दीन इलाके में एक धार्मिक जलसे में करीब 1400 लोग तबलीगी जमात के इस कार्यक्रम में शामिल हुए थे दिल्ली में और 300 इसमें विदेशी थे अब इनमें से कई लोगों की जांच हो रही है और कई लोग देश भर में फैल गए दिल्ली के निजामुद्दीन इस समय कोरोना फैलाने का एक बहुत बड़ा सेंटर बना हुआ है दिल्ली का निजामुद्दीन देश में इस वक्त जितने कोरोना के मरीज हैं कई लोगों का डायरेक्ट कनेक्शन बेशर्मी बेहयाई बदमिशाजी बदतिमाकी ये सारे शब्द आज मुझे बोने लग रहे हैं छोटे कोरोना के नए मामले घट रहे थे लेकिन निजामुद्दीन की मरकज के आंकड़े बता दिए हैं तबलीगी जमात मरकज से अब तक 24 कोरोना पीड़ित मिले हैं तीन लोग कोरोना सस्पेक्ट है और इन्होंने जैसे कसम खा रखी है कि पूरे देश में अपनी चाहत के झंडे गाड़ देंगे ये हाय आई एम पद्म प्रिया द एडिटर इन चीफ ऑफ सुनो इंडिया एंड योर होस्ट फॉर दिस सीरीज टॉकिंग राइट इन मार्च 2020 ट्वेंटी वन सडन लॉकडाउन वॉज इम्पोस्ट One thing that was on every television channel was about the Tablighi Jamaat. Until then, very few people knew about Tablighi Jamaat and not everyone knew that they were holding a meeting in Nizamuddin until then. But overnight the vilification, the name calling, the targeting of Muslims across the country as super spreaders was taken over by TV debates. Instead of spreading awareness, the mainstream media chose to stigmatize an entire section of the population. What this did was that it hampered community outreach and communicating effectively. For this episode I spoke to Ashima Mandla an advocate with the Delhi High Court who represented some of the tablighis to understand the issue better and the role of language in health communication. Please let us know how you came about to representing those who were impacted in this whole tablighi jamaat issue that came out last year. well essentially last year in in march uh, when this entire case broke out uh, it happened ever so suddenly that it just spiraled out of control in the media at least uh, because before this to be very honest i had not even uh, i was not aware of the fact that the markers headquarters mm-hmm. is right next to nizamuddin and uh, that they have jamaat here for the last 90 years and this this is the headquarters worldwide uh situated next to the zamudin markers and um, uh it a senior of mine mr fuzel ahmed ayub had reached out saying that uh, there are people who've been taken into quarantine centers and though the normal time for quarantine is 14 days and there was an sop by uh, the government uh, and especially ministry of external affairs that those foreign nationals who are stranded in india uh they they were trying to get chartered flights for them the, these were missions taking place at that time to ensure that people reach back to their countries so in light of the sop we were quite surprised to know that uh, these 
hundreds of foreign nationals were in quarantine centers for over 2 months because the fir was registered is something that we did not know of though the crime branch had registered an fir way back in march 2020 but what they presented to us is that they are just holding these people in quarantine centers till something can be figured out because there is a nationwide lockdown even if they are released where would they go was the biggest question so uh, we stumbled across one uh, letter that came out as an order from the delhi government and it said that all those people indian nationals connected to tablighi jamaat who are have been kept in quarantine centers across delhi so they said that in so far as all the indian nationals who are uh, in connection with tablighi jamaat being held in quarantine centers to be released immediately but then there was a line in that where they said that we have approximately 546 foreign nationals with us and as soon as they test negative you hand them over to the custody of the delhi police so when this line came about that's when we knew that we are getting embroiled into some criminal case so we immediately went and filed a habeas corpus now habeas corpus can be filed in the high court or the supreme court and it can be done in representative capacity we of course at that time did not even know the exact number of foreign nationals that were kept in uh, the quarantine centers let alone their names so it was filed in representative capacity by 20 uh, foreign nationals who we could get in touch with and who agreed to give their names for this petition and the moment we came to the high court with this and the high court took very serious note of the fact that uh, this is of course illegal detention if there is no case that has been registered thus far um and then immediately suddenly you you're saying that you're handing over custody now custody in the true sense means a criminal case that's when the status report that came by the police they said that no custody means that we are not it doesn't amount to detention or arrest as you are trying to make it out to be we are just taking care of them but at the same time we cannot allow you to uh, deport these people or repatriate them uh, for the fact that there are cases registered against them so this went on for about 3 days in the high court from the 25th to the 28th of may 2020 and within those 3 days simultaneously we heard in the news this is how the media propaganda started that's when these message and videos started being circulated and they in fact they leaked their charge sheet in the media that's how we came to know these are the charges against us for a period of 3 days they were filing charge sheets against couple of 100 people every day in saket court so at the end of it when our final hearing came about it was very simple for the police to come and say that look they can't go the charge sheets are filed in this matter so we can't even close the case or take it back and and initially they were charged please correct me if i'm wrong they were charged in the epidemics act but what were the criminal charges against them so it is it was section 3 of the epidemic act 
uh, which is also epidemic diseases act which is also punished under 188 of the ipc there's a separate charge of 188 269 270 271 of the ipc and from 269 to 271 it's about spreading of disease in a negligent manner and with in, in a malicious manner so they they did both for us and uh, there was 14b of the foreigners act because the second part of their narrative was that one is that we are covid spreaders the second part of the narrative was that you've also violated the visa terms because you've come on so they say a tourist visa as opposed to a religious tourism visa so 14b of the foreigners act was there and 51 and 58 of the disaster management act again punishable with 188 ipc though the main charge sheet uh, fir this um, did not name any foreign national it was against the organizers of markers and uh, but these charge sheets were purely against the foreign nationals and it was take cognizance of very quickly over there so anyway in the high court when we came to know that these charge sheets are filed of course we could not press for a prayer to fly back to i mean they could not be sent back to their countries at that time till the case was not over but um, that that's when uh, this collective decision was made by jamaat that they would like to take care of uh, their own guests and we sought immediate release from the quarantine centers at that time and um, from about the from the 30th may onwards till of course march 2021 that's when the last batch of foreign nationals actually left india um, they were they were taken care uh, of by the tablighi jamaat what were your first impressions when you first heard about this situation you told me that you had not even known that the jamaat was right there but when you first heard about the situation like what were your first thoughts that came to you like if you reflect back on on this if you have to reflect on it 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 frankly looked like you're making somebody uh, scapegoats in this situation because uh, parallelly in fact we ourselves before the situation even came up this was about two days before the nationwide lockdown we had filed a, a pil in the supreme court at that time asking for more testing centers asking for more institutional quarantine centers in the country in light of the pandemic because you saw that numbers were increasing in terms of people being affected and, and at that time of course we did not know that it's going to come up to such an extent that even 2 years henceforth uh, you'll still be uh, embroiled in this pandemic um, so we had gone approach the supreme court with that and to that the, uh, the then chief justice he treated the petition as a representation saying that the government is doing all it can so but we knew at the end of the day that for a population which is as large as ours you can't put a list of say 50 centers to have 130 people 130 crore people tested so i don't think that is sufficient and only when you're living in metropolitan cities like delhi bombay bangalore can you even expect that yes you'll get the best of uh, medical healthcare so so we thought i mean unless uh, until the second lockdown uh, they proved us long wrong completely um but yes at that time also the first impression was that this is just another way to uh, throw off and blame game rather than stopping your international flights rather than having mandated institutional quarantine testing centers 
we just wanted to pin it on a certain group of people when you it's not that this is the only group of people that ever entered the country during that time so, and you don't even know whether they carried the disease or they got it here because you didn't test them when yes. they came in you briefly spoke about uh, you know hearing stuff through the news and you know stuff being leaked to the mainstream media how did you feel about the mainstream media whether it was tv print or digital their coverage around the topic um and this this is something that i've very vocally also spoken to um a lot of people who've reached out from the media once the acquittal took place once the discharge took place and now of course there's momentum is completely in the direction the judiciary of course was with us from day one because you have to know the charges you have to understand this is criminal law if you're talking about negligently spreading disease you have to understand how negligence is proved first there needs to be of course a medical report it's it's not as simple as somebody coughing and the other saying that you know you're not not wearing a mask so you are spreading the disease right here so uh, media of course was reported reporting everything only from the perspective of what yeah. the government or what yeah. whatever i was what was going in terms of getting them trp making sensational and uh sensational remarks and it was quite scandalous also to begin with because that started um, in in a way ma'am uh, prejudicing i mean it was prejudicial to even the minds of the people who did not want to know anything about the case and i heard so many people coming up to me in randomly saying oh you know you you're representing these people do you know that uh, i i saw a video yesterday on whatsapp and uh somebody was found uh, spitting into biryani and this is how they've been doing it this is their propaganda so of course and then later on there were clarifications that all these were doctored or or extremely old videos related to this incident at all but at that time um, it was difficult to even explain to your own peers or your colleagues that why you would even be taking up something like this but it was uh, the largest human rights issue that we at least uh, seen in the recent times because in the middle of the pandemic where you should be extending a helping hand and humanitarian causes have to uh, i mean trump over anything else you are doing at that time here you were playing a it was it was inflammatory it was absolutely divisive the coverage that there was i would just like you to i know you you touched upon it you said it was inflammatory and divisive but when these terms were being thrown around for example super spreaders covid jihad um you know uh, jihad ha uh, when these kind of uh, terms were being thrown around how did you feel and how what was going through the minds of your clients also if you could tell our listeners a bit about it so thankfully the thing is that there was a huge language barrier that we had with our clients because they they came from about 48 countries as as far as fiji and i mean they so we some some of the countries frankly like i mean i'm saying it it sounds very uh, childish but um, i didn't know there's a country called niger i knew nigeria but we had people from niger as well so i remember there was a uh, error in the chart sheet itself they wrote nigeria and there was a conflict that no their passports they they read niger so of course there was a huge language barrier most of them did not speak english hindi of course was out of the question unless uh, some of them were they they were uh, previously uh, they had migrated from india so thankfully they did not know 
what was being said about them in the media to a large extent but the amount of personal loss that each of them have faced they lost jobs they lost family members back home uh, being embroiled in this pointless litigation uh, that they were subjected to but definitely um, i'm i'm sure that even though we did not get to interact with them uh, too much on a day to day basis and it was mostly limited to knowing them them asking about what our strategy was because we used to speak through translators if they had any questions they would have them ready for us when we met with them every day in court and translators would just their most of the most common questions used to just be that you know when can i get my passport back and when can i actually go home so apart from that after the point i think some of them who were elderly infirm persons as well they they had come reached a point where they wanted nothing more than just to go back home and what about the indian some of the indian clients that you represented what was going through their minds so uh, the, those cases are still going on at the moment and they also have uh, now of course the momentum and the tide has changed in the media and we actually are getting the reporting in the truest sense to people actually asking us what the case is about rather than making sensational headlines and uh, the content is all fluff so uh, i think it's far easier for uh, the indian nationals at the moment we are there in the delhi high court at the moment with our quashing petitions and um, the judges are asking all the tough and the right questions uh, this is what is there in the charge sheet what is there in the law and just as long as we stick to what the charges are and what the law says about them that that's all we need uh, to put across in the media as well uh, rather than uh, putting in their personal opinions and whatever they think would uh, the readers would like to know or whatever would create a buzz so thankfully that piece now is eliminated and the foreign nationals of course they they face the brunt of it over here legally is there anything that one can actually do um, you know to sort of counter this kind of language i mean it, as an advocate say if someone is facing this kind of a rhetoric a divisive rhetoric what is it that one can do and have there been any cases where people have actually gone to the court about the kind of reporting that happened in the media i think a lot of politicians do that these days they file defamation suits as well uh, but i generally feel that uh, though article 19 did gives us a right for freedom of expression but that if expression also even though you say uh, well, it's it's about a sense of ethics which needs to also be imbibed in our uh, journalism and the system unrounded of course they they say the media is the fourth pillar of a democracy and without it the that their the people in general would also be uh, sequestered out of the information that they so require but uh, there there needs to be some rules and some ethics that should govern over here as well so it should not so much be about what kind of reporting or being there first or reporting uh, this in a manner which will get me the most i mean i'll be shifted from a page 3 to a page 1 news getting more likes and trp and rather than just sticking to what the facts really are because what we've actually also seen uh, in our ca- other cases also where reporting takes place even though we try and explain something to them but ultimately they go and write and misinform the people 
on their own so that amount of fact check and uh, the, the thoroughness to see it through the response in in a way being responsible about it that resp- sense of responsible uh, reporting is still lacking at the moment in the system and the larger and the more important issues on I, I don't see that i mean there were so many talk shows that took place on tablighi jamaat when people were actually accusing jamaat of being corona spreaders but once we got an acquittal nobody cared about it because why it it won't sell as news but you 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 owe it to them to at least give a clearance to their names which you so smudged in the media and repeatedly uh, you know day after day in those initial months uh like i said what i'm looking at is the importance of language in tackling a pandemic whether it's stigma or the kind of you know language also can hinder the access to healthcare from your experience of tackling this case and multiple cases around this uh what what are your thoughts around this around language and its importance so what happened that when all of these persons were eva- so evacuated from markaz they they on charge on the charge sheet they say they took about 2300 people away from the markaz premises there is no list there's just a number who are those 2300 people they don't know themselves and then the investigating officer comes to court and says i can identify all 2300 to which my simplest remark is even i can't identify all 2300 it is humanly not possible to do that with names so when they were taken into quarantine centers in the form of an investigation there was a questionnaire given to them in which one of the questions was that did you apply for a visa did you seek prior permission from the mha which is a mandate according to them if you want a religious tourism or visa or you're coming for jamaat and these these were forms for each one of those 955 people a form was put in on record they say this is what our investigation is and in a way this is the statement that we are recording under a 161 in police investigation when i asked the translators i said how did this take place because do these people even understand all of them they understand english did what the was the meaning explained to them to which he told me that translators were not even available that day for all the countries so what was communicated to them what answers came across uh, that still remains a mystery because these were all yes or no multiple choice questions with a bare minimum uh, area to even uh, give any kind of subjective answers and that's how you should know that when they themselves uh, did not know and i th- i think that is one reason why they say that statements given to the police should not be admissible and it, in the truest sense it made us uh, understand how language as a barrier was also a big problem here because they may they may or may not have answered all of that but they definitely did not understand what was being uh, asked of them yeah i mean that's that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy that's like to have 955 forms filled and no one really knows what's happening in the forms the, the, because this was supposed to, when whenever we conducted anything in courts in terms of our uh, hearings ma'am we we ensured that uh, translators or any one of them who understands at least english 
but uh, this definitely was a problem that the investigation was not taken place in the manner as it should have been and then of course uh, the thing was that there was an underlying uh, political uh, so to speak barrier in there as well uh, so much so that so many of the embassies did not even come forward to help their own nationals and citizens so in fact apart from the indonesian embassy so when we went to court and plea bargains took place now the plea bargains took place only for a reason that for a lot of them it was out of the question to be in this country long enough to face the trial and though this was an expedited trial yet it took them a year to go back for uh, all of them in the end so the remaining 36 who actually chose to stick around for the trial um when the plea bargainings were taking place uh, these apart from the indonesian embassy no embassy came forward to even pay the fines that were required required to be deposited in court and fines over 50 lakh were deposited uh in in the delhi courts for this so that that also was one thing which we saw that uh, uh, even there must have been such political pressure that even the countries did not get involved in it and uh, i think that sends out a, an extremely uh, wrong message at an international level have how we dealt with the crisis um as huge as this in the pandemic hopefully and you know at least during our lifetime there won't be another pandemic but because the idea of the paper is also to sort of put in say suggestions and advice or solutions for in a sense from a language and communication point of view if there were five tips that you would like to give to say the government or people handling the language and the comms around it what would they be it doesn't have to be five but as many as you can think of ma'am in terms of language what i would uh... i would have personally liked was that if the embassies or our own government if you're holding out on people and carrying out investigations or in any way curtailing somebody's personal liberty and they are of course in a foreign land and there is a certain level of discomfort um, their phones have been taken away their families don't know i mean we we were getting frantic emails from family members that we don't know where so and so person is and you have to think about it in that perspective as well that the least you could do is provide some comfort even if somebody has been charged uh, under whichever law but these basic things on a humanitarian basis cannot be taken away so you also have a right of a phone call uh, which a lot of them were taken away from for days at end when they were in the quarantine centers so for this entire endeavor of course the embassies could have played played a more active role to ensure that some translators are made available because that that communication when it broke out a lot of broke down a lot of them were absolutely clueless as to what was even happening to them because people did not sit down and explain that this is what it is um we also saw a lot of people who wanted to jump into this case to represent and get their share, uh, share of fame as well um they tried to reach out to these clients directly and you know they didn't quite understand what was happening um in order to get consent and give, uh, give introduce new ideas into their heads 
so even that was another thing which was uh, which it it derailed the entire case a bit but i think apart from that if if the situation so ever arises <coughs> especially us being in delhi you have all the embassies and the consular offices right here it does not even seem to be a stretch but the least the government whether the central government or the state government could have ensured is that you at the end of the day these people are going away with an impression of your own country um a basic level of comfort even if they are being held into the country without uh, without their consent and <clears throat> for any investigation or so uh, they they could have been reached out in a better manner their families could have been reached out or i mean give this job to the embassies to do that but that that sense of i mean we didn't see any efforts being made between a government and the government of other countries to ensure that uh, there's a, there was a safe custody as well as carriage of uh, these foreign nationals back to their homes as well right thank you so much if there was any um, say one message that you would like to give to the mainstream media i know you did say that you know you're not that they've not covered the acquittal as much as they've done they did as much in terms of smudging their name but if there's one message that you would like to give to the mainstream media what would that be i think our faith in the media if it's going to be a pillar of the democracy is only going to be sustained and replenished if it's going to um then there needs to be some truth to the reporting there needs to be more background checks and stick as close to the facts as possible rather than just uh, having it one of in one of those fashions where you're sensationalizing everything because you have to also have a bit of empathy and sensitivity when you're reporting matters because at the end of the day uh, a lot of the statements were absolutely insightful um, you ended up doing more harm than good by making statements as as such uh, that, that they have in this matter it's actually led to widening the gap that we have any which with the kind of disconnect that mostly we feel with uh, the islamic section of uh, the population in the country so and we've also not had a very positive impact in what we are showing off to the world of how deeply uh, divided the issue is in terms of religion when it comes to this country uh, so i think that could have been handled um, a bit more in in a sensitive manner given that all eyes were on india on how it was uh, and it still is battling the crisis so uh, keeping everything aside keeping whatever political agenda somebody has aside uh, some some calls such as this should be taken in uh, larger interest of the nation as well so i think that was uh, one biggest takeaway that even i had uh personally from this experience thank you so much uh, is there anything else that you would like to add anything you think i missed important stuff ma'am apart from that is just the entire legal process and that itself uh, is is long embroiled because this this one case ended up in having the uh, 955 bail applications 955 plea bargains separately we had about uh 44 discharge applications 88 revisions 
there are about 42 quashing petitions. So the amount of filing in Delhi alone, and I'm not even talking about national figures, this is in Delhi. This has uh, been, I think, of course, the largest plea bargain case that we've ever had in the country. And apart from that, uh, it, it's the litigation has been voluminous. So uh, since the idea of your paper is, of course, restricted to communication and not so much as the legal perspective. So if I go into that, then uh, that, that's going to be. <laughs> no, but I think I think at some point I will maybe come back to you on the legal aspect of it, too, because Definitely, I'm the, quite keen. Itself, it's, uh, it teaches you criminal law through and through right <laughs> from the uh, point of having an FIR up till acquittal and yeah. revision and habeas corpus quashing writ petitions, this uh, matter has seen it all now. In a lot a lot of other uh, states, what had happened is that my courts were also shut down at that time. And not everybody caught on to VCs as uh, quickly as in Delhi, at least, when we had. And especially when you talk about bails, you have to go to the lower court first. So if your lower court itself is not working and the high court is not on VC, there was a, a lot of problems initially. So a lot of the Indian nationals and foreign nationals in other states were behind bars for this. But um, because we had approached the Delhi High Court in a habeas corpus, so uh, it was made sure by the Delhi High Court that given that all, all this has taken place and we were kept in under detention for so long, so when we go and apply for bail, the order of the Delhi High Court would be read conjointly. So as a result, um, oh yes, for two months, all these persons were inside uh, quarantine centers, but nobody was ever arrested in Delhi. This mini-series has been made possible by a grant from the Thakur Family Foundation. Thakur Family Foundation had no editorial control on these episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now.